everybody. This is Eric Johnson here again with my brother, Derek, uh, the Joe Bros. Hi, Derek. How are you doing? Doing really good. Really good, Eric. And today we're running into the fog with our good friend, Ellen Naylor. Hi, Ellen. Hi there. Good to be here with you guys. Well, yeah, welcome to the Johnson Brothers podcast. Uh, it's been look, looking forward to having you on. Thanks. There's a lot of people that we know in our space, Ellen, and the uh, really cool thing that we love about you is whenever we have, uh, not recently, but we've seen you in the past out in the field somewhere at a conference or whatever, and we always get together and we can count on you to, to drink a beer with us, which is Absolutely. awesome. Sounds pretty good right now. <laughs> <laughs> A nice cold one? You bet. That's right. Although Amen to I that. am drinking tea right now. <laughs> I have coffee in my Swedish mug. Oh, yes. Over here. Mine's an artistic mug. That's a wonderful segue to your hubby, actually, by the way. How's Rogers doing? And how's the art business? The art business as of June is awesome. Rogers was in an art festival in Chicago, which was the first public event in Chicago since before COVID. And wow. it was very kindly announced by the mayor at the site of Old Town, where the show took place. And uh, it was taking place the following day. It was crowded. People were euphoric. And they were buying art. Rogers had his best art festival ever. And, you know, he's been in a bunch of them, so that's saying something. And uh, right. so we, we were kind of Cheshire grinning it throughout the weekend and actually for another week or so, you know, until <laughs> we got in the car and had to start driving home in the, in the traffic. The traffic is very heavy this year. Everybody's out on holiday, even right. areas of the freeways across America, because we, we, you know, we drive um, that are normally nobody's there. There's lots of trucks and lots of cars compared right to enough. usual. Yeah. Well, here today, it's July 13th of 2021. We are emerging, I think, in pockets around the country from what has been a pretty long, drawn-out pandemic experience. And there's a lot of people with a lot of pent-up, oh, anxiety and eagerness to go on vacation uh, this summer. I was, just as you were talking about downtown Chicago, I remembered about 15 years ago bumping into you in downtown Chicago as you were at an art fair with Rogers and I was in town with my wife, Tina, and this was, um, it might've even been more than 15 years ago. And I'm like, Ellen Naylor, what are you doing in town? And you said, <laughs> Eric Johnson, what are you doing in town? I don't know if you remember that. I do. I absolutely Small do. World. And it was more than 15 years ago. I think you're right. Was it? But not much more. Not, not much, much more. more. That's good. Yeah. Hey, Ellen, That's what's good. the, uh, before we started the recording, you, you shared a word uh, when, when Rogers gets up and goes out and uses the nature to, you know, help him uh, cast a vision for some of his new paintings. What was that word again? Oh, he goes out and does plein air painting, which means just painting outside. And uh, whatever you see outside, you know, you want to go pick something interesting. So there is a there, a there, there in the picture. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, today he was headed to the foothills of Golan. Okay. So about a half hour from our home. So not too bad to get there with the uh, Denver plein air artists. Yeah. I was going to say you're, you're, uh, you're now Denver residents for at least the last several years. You'd been in the mountains before that and Minnesota before that. Why don't you give us the Ellen Naylor, the brief history of, uh, of Ellen Naylor and her 
leadership in the competitive intelligence world? Well, I started in CI in 1985 in um, at Bell, what was Bell Atlantic, now Verizon. I did that for five years. I started the group there. I'd been in sales and I couldn't really do a whole lot of selling to my major accounts due to the year of divestiture we were in. So I talked my way into uh, competitive intelligence called competitive analysis back then. Did it for five years, developed good rapport with sales and uh, in particular, and also with uh, the salespeople who called on AT&T our major competitor at the time. So it was really a lot of fun. And I was young, you know, so uh, I had no fear. And, you know, that, that's always a good thing about being young, a lot of energy. So then my husband uh, got a job at Cray Research and uh, we got a promotion at Cray Research, which required us to move to Minnesota. So I said goodbye to Bell Atlantic and um, kind of started over again. And, uh, Rogers uh, really loved his time at Cray Research. He was there for 13 years, which is quite a while to be in a corporate job. And uh, and I started my business there after working at Northwest Airlines for, well, maybe a little over a year. Um, part of the deal was uh, you got a, it was either three or six month, I think it was three months, um, where you could fly as a non-rev, which is what we're considered as employees, and pay taxes on one quarter of the airfare. So I wanted to go back to Japan where I grew up and I had been there for 21 years and stayed there for three weeks, which was wonderful. And while I was there, that was somewhat life-changing because I had thought I would go back and get another corporate job. And I realized I just could not do that just, it wasn't going to work. I was not the corporate type and, you know, I was done. Adios. So anyway, that, that was a good thing to do. And so I came back and started in with another group of three people. And maybe that lasted about a year or so because they were really into secondary research and the people I was calling on really wanted primary research. They wanted to get stuff that was hard to get. So we ended up parting ways because they weren't, one of the partners really wasn't into primary at all. So I figured better for me to leave. They had a good partnership going. And that's when I started my business. That is still going now, many years later. And I, I since moved to Colorado because, you know, as consultants yourselves, it really doesn't matter where you live in terms of the work. Although, you know, it does. Mm. I had built-in clientele in Minnesota because Minnesota nice means they like to work with fellow Minnesotans. Sure. I had some big names that as soon as I moved out of state, they told me, well, you know, we like, they didn't say it, but they said, good luck to you. You know, so I knew, okay, I'm starting again in terms of the Minnesota clients. So, so that's what I did here. But, you know, in CI, your clients are all over the states, all over the world. It's not right, too yeah. tough to start up. It takes time, of course. And at that time, my parents were getting older. So, you know, I had to go back a lot or I chose to go back a lot. I was lucky I could do it to see my family. And in the CI world, this will crack you up because it is kind of a fun story. I was asked at the last minute to do a social media talk. And it was Catherine Hayes said, gosh, something came up. I just can't do it. Can you do it for me? I said, well, I'm not sure. I'm here with my dad. He's not in very good shape. He's. So like, for example, if he has to use the restroom, I have to help him get in and out of there. 
So if that happens during the talk, you know, this could be a problem. So, but I said, I'll do it because she really couldn't do it at all. And she didn't know anybody else to talk to at the time. This was a number of years ago. So we get, <laughs> I get in, I'm in my family, my, my uh, parents' nook. And my father is on this lovely chair next to me. And it's time for the webinar to start up. My father fell asleep, God love him, throughout the entire webinar. <laughs> However, there's always a little wrinkle. My brother Tom comes in the door and cannot resist trying to make his sister laugh. You know, the sibling stuff. <laughs> I'm trying to keep a straight face. We're just kind of winding down this, this webinar. We're trying to kind of make conclusions and answer a couple of questions. There comes my brother. I'm like, shh. Oh, no way you can shh my brother. <laughs> Anyway, there's always something. So, yeah. So wow. anyway, I, I did a lot of traveling back to see my family, uh, my mom and dad, for probably seven or eight years. And that wasn't good for business, you know. Mm. And when, like, my, like when my father died, I was, a, I was just starting a project, and I had to tell them I can't do it. They mm -hmm. said, we'll wait. And I finished this project in a month, which normally would take three months. I felt like divine providence was on my side. I had such a good look with all these calls. I had a lot of calls to make and I made them all in a month and wrote up the report. So, but yeah, yeah. When you, when you say travel back, where, where was travel back to, uh, to see your parents at that time? They were in Alexandria, Virginia. Okay. Over on so the I come go back to DC, you know, national. Yeah. So, and then coming here to Colorado, here to Denver was, uh, the difference between Conifer and Denver has been very good for business. I bet. I don't know why. I don't get it. I don't go to a ton of meetings. It's just maybe my mindset has changed. Maybe I, I don't know what it is. But uh, as soon as I moved here, other than part of last year when I chose not to make any calls because people were freaking out over COVID. So I told, I told both my win-loss customers, I think we need to take a little breaky-poo because people are freaking out. A lot, of our, a lot of our clients are moving back to their homes, something they've never done for work. They got kids. So we need to give them three or four months, whatever period of time, uh, to adjust. And one client was very upset with me, insisted I keep going. And so I said, well, you know, it's a bad reflection of you if you want me to keep going, since I am representing your firm. And I mentioned that right away because that's what you want me to do. So I made one more call, as it turned out, and the lady in the email to set up the call wrote back a one-liner that basically said she was freaked out. Typos, mm. capital letters, and small letters all jumbled up. And I just sent it to the client and said, I rest my case. I'm not making any more calls. Mm. And yeah. I fired that client. I never called them after this, after the session. Mm. The other client was like, yeah, I agree with you totally. We're having enough trouble staying up with sales ourselves, you know, just the sales process and implementation process with our clients. So, you know, we waited until the summer got a little further along and then, you know, people had adjusted enough that we could keep going. But yeah, that was a weird year last year for us all, wasn't it really? Didn't your book come out about the time you moved to Denver? Is it that did, about you have a good thing? memory. Yeah, I... Um, so I... Yeah, it came out in 2016. I'm suggesting that had something to do with it. That had something to do with it. Oh, yeah, it probably did. You make a good point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of business is win-loss, but there's there's other pieces of my business as well that have just 
done well since I moved here. I haven't written about it all hardly or a little bit, but you know, not that much. So I figure it's just that I'm getting old and, you know, people realize, oh, she's going to be gone pretty soon. So you better <laughs> go ahead and hire her while she's still working. So don't talk like that. Come on. You're just getting started. Uh, it's, uh, you know, as someone who's been a guest in your home and drunk a few of those beers that you and Rogers stockpile uh, for guys like me who uh, who happened across your doorstep in the night. Thanks again. Uh, I'll say that, uh, you know, you never, you're never a more welcome house guest than you are at the, at the Naylor residence. Um, and thanks again for those happy memories. I'll always <laughs> cherish them. And I hope I can get to Denver sometime and, uh, indulge in your, uh, generosity once again, uh, uninvited again, of course. Always room in our house for either one of you guys or both of you guys. We have two guest bedrooms in this small house. It's, it's pretty wild. <clears throat> we Party at the Nailers, uh, Derek. Party at the Nailers, uh, for sure. And uh, I'll even bring beer with me when I show up. All right. Up. So uh, maybe Eric and I will make a trip together. So let's talk about this book. What was the inspiration for the book? And uh, according to what I see, it came out in 2016. 16. Yeah. 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 And I moved here in 2015. But, you know, it takes a while to, to uh, go through the publishing process. So yeah. it was actually ready to rock and roll in 2015. But, you know editing and all that stuff that slowed down as we were moving here because we were three months in a townhouse where um i sort of had a, a table to work at and it was in the living room you know we've all been there at periods of time where oh no no storage area around me just the best i could do anyway yep, so i i also had lyme's disease at that time so that was part of the reason i chose to write the book when i did because I knew I could not take on any work. My, um, my mind was not going to be able to work on a schedule. Whereas when you write a book, you can binge write, you know, and that's what I would do. I'd binge write and then I wouldn't write, binge write. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the reason I wrote the book back to your question, Derek, was I wanted people to learn how to do win-loss analysis and I wanted more people just to go ahead and do it, you know? And so I meant for my book to be not too long and just to provide a lot of guidelines and stories to encourage people to do it themselves because not enough companies are doing it. They think they know why they're winning and losing deals, especially why they're winning them. It's a riot. And I know you're in the business too. That's a big blind spot for a lot of companies. They, they really want to know why they're losing the deals. And also they want to know why customers aren't deciding as well, Yeah, which is you know a little harder to wrap your arms around. It's basically a loss, right? If if you're not the incumbent, which you wouldn't care if you were, right? But the wins, they all say, ah. Oh. And I remember one of our colleagues in CI who will go unnamed had said, well, I think what companies ought to do is hire the consultant to do the loss interviews and do their own win interviews. And I said back to that person, really? That's the biggest blind spot they have. Right. So if they if they do their win interviews, they're just going to be reinforcing the pat on the back that they're already giving themselves in a lot of cases. And so at the very least, have a consultant do some of those wins. So you have a little comparison. Well, and having been an amateur elicitor myself from time to time over the years, I can imagine how those self-reinforcing win conversations go. Um, tell me about how much you enjoyed feature X, Y, and Z, the three things that they think 
you know, really drive the sale. And then they never actually get around to telling the truth, which is, of course, the point of having an outside analyst do that work is you have someone who can actually follow the verbal cues in the conversation and extract and elicit the, the truth as opposed to the sugarcoat version that they want their new vendor to feel about their opinion of them and all the psych industrial psychology that goes along with that. And, and the other thing goes along with it too is the customer doesn't want to really tell the sales exactly what happened. They have a, a certain type of relationship with the salesperson and whether they won or lost the business, they'd like to kind of keep it. So they often don't tell them the total picture. Right. You know, in fact, I think there was a book written before mine that wasn't called win loss. It was called from a good sales call to a great sales call. And um, in that book, he quoted, because they had done a lot of research at his firm, he quoted that, I'm not going to have this exactly right, but roughly speaking, sales doesn't have it right about half the time. Hmm. And and some of, some of that half of the time, I forget the percentages, um, they totally don't have it right. Hmm. Other times they have it partially right, and sometimes they actually do have it right. But do you want to take that risk of having someone in sales do it? So a lot of companies have product marketing do it. I'm talking to someone along those lines right now who just wants potentially wants some training. And they said they're product marketers, though. They're trying to get product development ideas, and they're trying to sell how great their product is to the customer, whether they decided on it or not, instead of, um, you know, kind of asking those open-ended questions. <laughs> so it, it, it really depends on who you have interviewing, how good an interviewer they are, and most importantly, how good a listener they are. You know? Right on. That's about, you, you want to be speaking no more than 10% of the time, unless you happen to get on a little topic and, and you know they have the time of interest. Like the other day I was talking to this customer and I pretty much knew how the conversation was going and how it was, how it was going to go, except for a couple little things. And it turned out they had owned a trucking company, he, she and her ex-husband. And um, uh, so, she, so we got into the topic of autonomous vehicles, oh. which of course is very fascinating to me. Or maybe you don't know this. I'm, I'm taking a course right now on, on a futurism strategic futurism by uh, Th Dr. Thomas Fry. And he's never offered this course before. And he's a pretty well-known futurist around the world. And, you know, one of our assignments was around autonomous vehicles. And I thought, well, I haven't really read that much about them. I know what they are, but, you know. So in order to do the assignments, you have to go and dig. So anyway, I'd done a fair amount of digging just before this phone call. So we, we had a little discussion about, as they call them, ABs. And, uh, but I wouldn't have had that conversation if she hadn't told me, ah, yes, we used to own a trucking company and our major customers are all truckers. It was very relevant. But most of the time, I don't have such conversations like that. But it, I did I did a couple of days ago. Yeah, that's kind of fun. But it was fun to get her perspective and hear her stories about it because she had been in AVs. I haven't. Have you? Have you all been in it? In a no, driverless vehicle? I rode in one at an exhibition. We, we've done war games at the um, Transportation Research. Oh, man. TRB. Transportation Research Board uh, meeting, which is about a 30,000-person meeting in Washington, D.C. most Januarys, not the last couple. 
And yeah. uh, I was there for the 2019 war game that we ran. And uh, I happened to be at an exhibit in their main exhibition hall and they had yeah. an EV going around giving rides to people. So I'm like, Pick wow. Me. Uh, so, but that's the only experience I've personally had with it. I have a good friend who's actually a college professor who has a Tesla. Uh, I don't know what model, but he hacked the Tesla so that he could sit in the passenger seat while it drove him back and forth to college. Um, and oh. I'll leave him unnamed in case that's a, an illegal thing uh, to do. But uh, Derek knows who, who I'm talking about. But uh, yeah, those are, that's about the extent of my experience with autonomous vehicles. Well, I have none, but I love the idea because I hate to drive. I love the idea of saying, hey, come over to the house at 730. We're going to go out and do some whatever hiking. And, you know, you can go do whatever you want all day. Let's rent you out. But get back here by four o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> and then we're going to go, go supermarket shopping, which I know people say, well, no one will be doing that by then. I will be because I'm picky about my fruits and vegetables until someone can figure that one out. I'm picking my own. <laughs> right. Exactly. But I love the idea. So, Alan, you're you're essentially driving at uh, a topic I know is, is really central to your success as a win-loss elicitor, and that is the opportunity to create conversation. And, you know, in today's world, you know, we, we live and die by our devices and typing text messages and emails and all this stuff, you know, Maybe we're all a little bit old school, at least on this podcast today, and, and the opportunity to kind of get into this whole reason for success and some of the more human intelligence, human elicitation types of techniques. Central to that is the opportunity to have a conversation with someone, you know, and, and whether that be an acknowledgement uh, recommendation from you to your client saying, you know, COVID is burning people out. They have too much anxiety. We got to hit the pause button on this project for four months. Or the the AV uh, concept being uh, a tangent that you can use with a source when you're on the phone with them. What do you think about, you know, sort of the lost skill of conversation and its importance or relevance or, or place in business settings? Well, it's an interesting question you asked. Rogers and I were just talking about this at the dinner table last night because we were we were just saying, you know, during COVID, it was just us, you know, at home and out walking every single day. What what brought this on is we were on our COVID walk, what we called our COVID walk last night. And so we started talking about COVID in a way we hadn't, you know, in terms of this time last year, we were doing this walk and it was our lifeline, you know, to get out of the house. And, you know, so I think COVID also has affected our skill at conversation mm -hmm. because a lot of us have had conversations with our family, maybe not as much socially, that is. Now, the three of us have probably still had quite a few conversations. As I was saying back to my husband, well, I don't think it's affected me that way because I have all these Zoom calls. I miss seeing people in person, but at least I'm having conversations. So that part of my brain has still practiced, been in practice. But, you know, for a lot of people, it probably hasn't as much, right. you know. So but I think conversation is 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 pretty darn important and it's a good supplement when we're doing research for sure. And, you know, as we're looking on the net and wherever else we're looking, you know, I love Suki Fuller's talk of uh, kind of 
being in the right place at the right time in social media and kind of getting some pretty good ideas about where the competition was going. Well, you do that and then you pick up the phone, talk to some people and, you know, bingo, it works out pretty well. Yeah. But I, I think it's good not to depend on any, any one of those sources. But what I love about the conversational one is, you know, you usually, you can tell when people are, are, are lying to you. Hmm. You can't tell that in writing. They're just, you might tell it because you think this is a load of, you know what, but you don't have tippers, any tips other than that. Whereas when they're conversing and they're not quite sure about something, but they're trying to be sure about it. Well, the tone of voice changes, a little hesitation going on. And, Hmm. you know, you could just ask, or you could just say, really (laughs) back to them (laughs) or something like that. And, uh, and that happens in win-loss interviews too, because sometimes um, even though I am an outside source, they still want to tell me what they think the company wants to know. Sure. So, you know, I'll, I'll often just, you know, figure out how to get past that. And it doesn't take long once they realize, oh, okay. You know, by just being pretty personable and, and I always have an intention before I have my calls and it's just sort of now part of my DNA. And that is, I'd like to have the person at the other end of the line or zoom feel better by the end of our conversation than than they did when we said hello. It's just Mm -hmm. very simple, Mm -hmm. but it's pretty effective actually, whether you're doing competitive research or having a conversation. I even like to do that, have that thought when I'm talking with my friends, my colleagues, not just business, you know? Right. You don't want to have people getting off the call feeling like they've been used, for example, in research or your friends they're telling you something that really they need to get off their chest and you just sort of need to sit and listen and not judge them. You know, there's so many different occasions where it's just a good idea to keep that in mind. Yep. Totally. Well, you know, the pandemic has changed a lot about our business world and the norms and context for things as more people are working from home. You pointed out a little while ago that um, I think the, the office context versus the work from home office context is a really different one. Um, if you're like me, and nobody's really, <laughs> nobody's that work, uh, but uh, if you're like me, you're double booked all day. And so you're sort of overlapping your meetings. And uh, I don't recommend this, by the way, this is not uh, advice. This is just reality. But I'm jumping from one thing to the next. And uh, this morning is a good example. I sat in this chair from 7.15 a.m. until about 10.45 a.m. And I don't think I got up from the chair. I went from one meeting to the next. I had five or six meetings in those three and a half hours or whatever it was. And I think I got up once to close the door because the dog was barking at the UPS guy. Oh. But it was to then restore peace to this sort of encounter. Now that's a really different thing. If I were going to an office, there's no way I'd sit in my chair for three hours and 45 minutes or whatever without getting up and moving around. You're moving back and forth between offices often. And you're if you've got other people who work in the office with you, which I mean, we may as well right now, um, yeah. there's... Uh, there's those, uh, what do they call them? Collisions that happen, collisions that happen, and then the unexpected. And then you've got downtime. And I don't think that downtime is what it used to be either. I'd get some of my no. best ideas when I'm on the rowing machine or, you know, getting out of the shower or taking a walk down to the mailbox with my wife, you know, and it's, 
it's when I'm away from the work that a lot of new innovation would happen. And it's mm-hmm. when I'm together with people that a lot of problem solving would take place, it seems like. And now none of those things happen because I'm here for three or four hours at a stretch. And when I do get up, man, I'm blasted for a little while. I, I got to go have a workout then just to screw myself back together again or just take a take the dog for a ride in the country or something to clear my brain. Anyway, my point in saying all this is the context for how human and primary work, I think has probably changed. And I think it's probably permanent. And then there's the in-person element. We're not going to trade shows and conventions and conferences and stuff much anymore. Uh, And maybe we will again, if that proves to be a productive recycling of capital, but we don't know if that's going to happen or not. I mean, I've been to enough online conferences that didn't completely suck that I think you could envision that mode sort of taking over too. So I don't know. I've talked a lot there. How has the ingredients of primary changed and is it irrevocable and which of it is, is likely to return in your opinion? Well, I think the primary over the phone over the zoom hasn't changed much at all other Mm -hmm. than um, for a while there, people were not as available as they were freaking out. Yeah. And, and, and also you might not have the right contact information for them because they're at home now and because it's kind of nice just to call them, not email them necessarily, but I tend to email them before I call them and a lot of times just Zoom them. But I noticed that a lot of people are kind of happy to, like I was with this lady, same lady the other day and she was in a meeting. So she was running a little late. I just figured, oh, well, it's just after the, after the holiday, maybe she forgot, you know, because that happens. Right. And, uh, so I kind of got up and moved around and I thought, well, you know, maybe I should send her an email. It's five or 10 minutes late. And so she emails, I'm so sorry. I'm stuck in this meeting and I can't get out of it that quickly. So I told her, well, I don't have back-to-back calls like you do right now, Eric. I, I try not to do that because it's bad for me. And um, uh, so, you know, she's, and I said, well, I'm on the Zoom if you want to get on the Zoom or if you'd rather call me, here's my phone number. She called me. She wanted to talk on the phone. She's tired of Zoom. So I kind of wonder about that, that aspect yeah. of it. Um, if people, even even though you can do a Zoom call without seeing each other, if people are just sick of being forced to use it, you know, they'd like to have other choices. And um, so I, I don't see the primary calling has changed that much other than details like that. I find that, you know, I don't have as much trouble getting hold of people. I find though that it takes longer to get people to agree to an interview a lot of times. They either agree right away or I send them three or four emails and they're ashamed and they say they say yes after the fourth and final email. That also does get some people pissed off that I say the fourth <laughs> and final email. But it does make my point of hey, you know, I'm trying to contact you, you know. Third time is charm. I have all kinds of little tricks. But you know, um, but as far as trade shows go, back to your point, um, there's no replacement of a real in-person trade show, in my opinion, mm. um, because all you're doing online is listening to some talks and and having the ability to go see the, the, the vendors that are there as you can in the limited ways that you can. 
And also like at Skip last year, which I really appreciated, they actually tried to make it a little more sociable by having meetings where you could set up a meeting with some friends. And I did a couple of those, that was great fun. I went to all the, the vendors and providers. That was easy to do because you're online and there's only so much you can do. But if I were a provider of services and I was at an online meeting, I would be very disappointed because you know, you can't really build that rapport. Mm -hmm. You can continue to build it with people you already know, but to get new clients through that means, I think is a challenge. And so I, 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 I wonder if the, if those who are actually supporting and keeping conferences going will say, hey, if you don't have them in person, you know, we're not able to make a living this way. Yeah. This, this doesn't this doesn't work for us. And and that is who provides a lot of the funding towards the event. So, you know, people who organize conferences need to think about that or they need to say, well, we'll have to figure out another way to break even. Mm -hmm. But as a provider of services, I would think, you know, you all know all too well. I mean, how do you how do you have a decent conversation with somebody online, sort of helter skelter, you know? It's challenging Derek's enough to do a, it in person. So Derek's kind of the tip of that spear here at Aurora. So Derek, you feel free to share your feelings about that. I, I have a little bit of a hilarious um, take on that concept with, with conferences. And it's been a while since Eric or I, or maybe you, Ellen, have been to a middle school dance. And maybe you've heard me use this analogy before, but if you're seventh, eighth grade boy, and I, I happen to have a just graduated eighth grade, about to go ninth grade boy my family. Oh. He didn't have the opportunity to go to these dances, but I can only imagine if my son had gone to a dance, he and his, he and his buddies would be hanging out in one corner and the pretty girls, all the girls would be in the other corner. Like maybe yeah. it happened in say, oh, 1988 uh, when I was that age. And, uh, you know, you don't know how to uh, communicate and it's awkward and it's, nobody wants to make the first move. That's a that's an incredibly difficult thing to overcome in a Zoom format. I don't care how good your virtual event platform is. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think it works that well from a, I think of things in, in terms of buy side, sell side situations. So mm -hmm. all, uh, buyers of products and services that our company might have versus you know, us on the consulting side. So, you know, I, I find some humor in uh, <laughs> aligning it to a, a middle school dance, but you know, the reality is it is difficult and yet you have to figure out, we've all had to figure out in this sort of uh, time of uncertainty and travel restrictions and otherwise, you know, how to make it work. And I, I think to Eric's point, you know, I'm kind of bridging the, the gap here. I think companies are going to, you know, look for opportunities to limit travel budgets in the future, probably because they you know, they, they know that they can uh, make those restrictions and that their employee base is not going to be totally pissed off that they can't go to conference X, Y, or Z. Um, and, you know, for, for folks like us, we're just going to have to figure out how to cope with that. They already yeah. were before the pandemic. And yeah, they were. There, there was that last sort of five years, I got a, an increasing amount of, if I'm not revenue generating, I'm grounded. If I can't generate revenue, I can't go to your meeting. Sorry. And that's 
uh, and then the pandemic hit. So I don't know. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that someday we'll be all back gathered around a cash bar in the middle of some random convention center <laughs> in some Midwestern city again, slamming back IPAs until they're out. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we've done plenty of that over the years. But yeah, yeah I mean, imagine how it wasn't all that long ago where the chambers of commerce or the local business groups would gather in downtown Denver or downtown you know, Milwaukee or Madison or wherever we might be out here in Wisco and you, you have an opportunity to get together. It's just that there might not be a travel element or a hotel or overnight element. Yeah. You know, a lot more local is what you're driving. Localized, localized collaborations and, and communications, I think will sort of come back to life in a, in a lot of ways. What do you think about that, Ellen? Is, is that something? Yeah, that I'm you... noticing that here, you know, yeah. we're starting to have more in-person meetings, just even socially. I'm, I'm with a couple of groups at my church and, one of them we met in person uh, this past Sunday, and uh, it was great, great to see. There was one lady I'd seen only this much of her <laughs> on Zoom because she says, oh, I'm so awful, blah, blah, blah. Well, it turns out she has a lot of health issues going on. I had not seen her on down. So when I first saw her, I thought, who is that? Of course, as soon as I heard her voice, I knew exactly who she was. But, you know, it's just weird. that you. <laughs> uh, right. yep. Yeah. So I, I see that coming back locally right now, socially as well as. Um, although I'll be curious to see if we can get some business meetings going along those lines, other than those, I call them the pick-me-ups, uh, pick-me-ups or business meetings where people have fast dates and think they're gonna get business from it and they oh, usually yeah. don't, but I see those starting to come back as well. I'm not really interested in those, so I don't go, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. I've been to too, though. If there'll be um, local meetings that happen that um, are different than they used to be, yeah. not by um, the Chamber of Commerce necessarily. They might be headed by people who just want to have them and they call up their colleagues and add to them over time selectively and meet. I'm wondering if that's going to be a thing that happens because I've thought about doing that myself, you know? We had a meeting here in Madison. I did not go, uh, but I had a, a colleague who went um, and it was on cryptocurrencies um, and it was oh. done by 100 State, which is a group of um, sort of startup founders and VCs here in Madison that are tech uh -huh. focused. And yeah. there is a an arm of that called 100 Crypto. And they were doing an evening uh, where they were talking about um, all sorts of different applications of uh, of the tokenomics around around cryptocurrency, and I I personally wasn't prepared yet to go to it. This was a few weeks ago, but my buddy went, and he actually then had a live stream that was streamed to my intern who's working on a crypto project for me this summer. Oh, cool. And so my intern down in Watertown, which is I don't know forty minutes from Madison, was mm -hmm. virtually in this one hundred crypto meeting happening down on State Street. My buddy was in the room. And then they reported out to me about what sort of got talked about at the meeting later. So I think there's going to be more of that. Like yeah. under pre-pandemic circumstances, I don't, I would never have considered delegating a hybrid team to go penetrate that meeting and glean, you know, highlights from it. I would have done it myself and I would have done it in person and I would have taken a mitt full of business cards with me and 
you know, probably had to get a cup of coffee before I drove myself home, if you know what I mean. But uh, there is, that is not happening right now. And so I think there's a lot of innovation happening there. You know, I was talking about the collisions that happen in the office. I think those collisions are now happening at cocktails and at, you know, things where people are back together again, but they're very technical. I think they're less sort of I'm, I'm an accountant and you're an accountant. Let's get together and talk about accountancy. I don't know if that still happened before the pandemic, but I think there's much less of that. I think, I think these encounters now are, I've never heard of X. You've done X. Tell me about how X went and maybe I could try it too. In other words, they're driving discovery is what mm -hmm. I would call that as a designer. They're discovering aspects of their operating environment that they just have no experience with. And the fastest way to do that is to have another person tell you what they're oh, yeah. That's you, what my experience is right now. That's why I'm taking that course, strategic futurism. Right. I'm meeting people also. I, I had, I bet, a two-hour conversation with one of my fellow students. And we were more um, participatory in the Slack channel. they I know there's a lot of students because this man is so well-known and so bright. He was at IBM for 15 years, um, maybe 40 patents. I don't know, a lot. And uh, kind of got bored with it all because it didn't move fast enough. So he left and started his own company on futurism. And he's been going ever since. And just his brain just doesn't stop. You know, he was saying, oh, yeah, you know, you can come up with some really good ideas by concentrating and put nice music on this sort of thing, but also when you're kind of half asleep. So I don't think his brain rests, you know, but he likes it that way, you know? And you but mentioned he, is, he has, he has you journaling as part of that. Is oh that yeah. Right? Yeah. He has you journaling on um, uh, an idea that would be discussed in his, um, his, uh, what do you call it? His daily brief, his weekly briefing. And then you can have the journal. Are you part of this? I don't know, but I'm not. No, you told me about it. You told me about oh. it in passing on a fellows call, I think. And oh, maybe so. Yeah. I wanted to follow and up. What you do is there's five sets of questions following the scenario. And you are meant to imagine and be a futurist about each set of questions on a different day. Oh. And that works out really well. So you don't confuse them. But what I tend to do is I read the scenario and all the sets of questions. And then I start in on the first batch. But before I do anything, I often have to go research what it is he's even asking about. Sure. He's got two paragraphs. Well, that's not enough for me to be a futurist about. I need to go and spend several hours researching it. So this like is autonomous. Really, what's that? Like autonomous, like autonomous vehicles, your example. Exactly. Oh, yeah. I, I went and researched quite a bit about it all. Of course, I went and listened to guess who? Mr. Musk. Right. And, you know, he puts out a ton of videos. And by the way, did you see about maybe six or seven days ago, one of those Teslas blew up? No, I didn't. It was a new model. Craig put it on Twitter. Oh, okay. Yeah. I assume it's an accurate story since you put it on there because Craig is a pretty responsible guy. But yeah, the guy had only owned it for three days. And he was trying to get out because he said something wasn't okay. The, the, the doors were automatically locked. So we had to get out. Yeah. So the last thing I remember about Elon Musk was he had sold all of his real estate properties and bought a, um, what do they call it? It's a boxable 
thing and it uh, it's a house. They're $50,000. They're about maybe 400 square feet and they fold up into an eight foot wide trailer. And then you haul this thing to wherever you want to install it. And then the crane pulls the side down and you fold the walls out and you pull the ceiling across the top and you're home. There's a washer and dryer and a full kitchen and a full bathroom and all that stuff is pre-built from the factory. And these things are about 49,000. Um, but apparently that Elon Musk is living at Starbase in one of these casitas, a boxable casita, it's called. Oh gosh. Okay. And you can drop them anywhere. Pretty cool. Might be a solution for the homeless. Right. Exactly. That's a little better than a tiny house. Yep. Yeah. I've got a friend who's got a tiny house and that's kind of interesting too. Yeah. Kind and of uses cheaper. it for his lot cheaper, but also it's his vacation home. And a lot of the ideas that are in the tiny house come from Japan where they have very little space, mm. you know, the sinks, the toilets, the faucets, a lot of these things come from Japan. I didn't know that. I was just kind of reading up on that thinking, Oh, that makes sense. You know, most people in Japan live in a very small space. And what do they call the lunchbox? That's almost like an art form now where you have to pack it all in. What's that you called? mean the bento box? Bento box. Yeah. yeah. It's like, that's almost an art form as I have sort of observed it is the, the notion of how you pack your lunch. Like it, it's a beautiful thing, you know, when you've got it all packed in there, all Tetris, like it's, you know, supposed to be. All compartmentalized. While we're looking to wrap up here in a little bit, uh, Ellen, the, the thing you said at the start of today's recording, you went to Japan after you uh, ended up back working for Northwest Airlines, you went to Japan, you, you, you got a ticket over there and you spent three weeks and you decided while you were in Japan that you couldn't go back to a corporate job. So that led you to this career. Um, what is it? What was it about that trip to Japan that that really made you have that epiphany that you couldn't go back to that corporate career? And do you think for our listeners out there that may be experiencing some of the same struggle, either their their employers asking them to come back to the office and they're not ready for that, or um, they're tired of the the grind of a corporate uh, lifestyle and professional uh, ambition, and they they maybe have aspirations or good idea to go out on their own. Any um, sort of uh, insights that you might be able to share in regard to that because i found what you said about going to japan it was in japan for those three weeks that you came back and you decided that you couldn't do it um, what do you think yeah on the flight back i said no can't do it because i i was uh, actually interviewing for a job at medtronic which would have paid the bills really well but mm -hmm. oh i just wasn't ready for what that would entail and mm -hmm. um i think the real thing that hit me was i was back to my youth I was back to where I was grounded. Mm. So I lived there for 15 years, even though I wasn't in the spots where I was grounded. I was in the country where I was grounded. So I was grounded. And, you know, when you're grounded, you can't fool yourself. You know, you're, yeah. you're there. And it was a place where I was very confident in my abilities, even though I was young, very confident. And I was not confident after the experience at Northwest Airlines, I was left, I knew I was gonna be laid off. My parents were visiting. 
when, when I was laid off and, you know, they asked, do you have any concerns? I said, well, in fact, you just laid me off. My parents are visiting and I want to get them back for free. Yeah. I got first class tickets for my parents to get back for free. So that was cool. But um, I think people just need to take time and go to an environment or a place where, where, where you can be grounded. And whatever that is, it's different for everybody. And of course, when I went to Japan, I had no idea that was going to happen. I wasn't even looking for it. It was just sort of, I went there and after about two weeks of vacation time and seeing old friends and seeing new places I had never been to, um, I just thought life is too short. No can do, gotta do something different. And uh, the different thing is just not going back to corporate. So I thought maybe I'll work for a small business, you know, but I, I never, I actually didn't think at that time that I would just work for myself. I didn't think that was gonna happen. I figured I'd work for a small firm, you know. But the politics of the big firm and all that stuff, I just know. So I think I say for the listeners, you know, give yourself a time, a space, a place. Maybe you meditate. Maybe you go out for walks in the forest or up in the mountains, or you go for a swim in lakes. Whatever it is that gets you to relax, do a little more of that. If you're very unhappy with where you are, and and don't settle for being unhappy where you are. I think that's one of the key things. The benefits of this pandemic for a lot of people is I've read about it and I've talked to people about it. They're not going to go back and do what they were doing before. It's not okay. Mm. And I, I feel like America and maybe other places in the world will become much more productive and creative because you're giving yourself permission to, to be that way because you've had the time to be introspective and think about it. And uh, you know, how many years have we read the Gallup polls about how dissatisfied people are with their work? It isn't just that people don't want to go back and work in the office where they were before, which has been reported. I think it's that the people were not happy in their jobs, too. Hmm. And now, you know, you've read probably a lot of stories about people who have changed their jobs totally during the pandemic. And so I think we might be seeing a huge creativity boost in, around the world from people who have been forced to go indoors. And gosh, they had to actually stop and stay still and be with their families or themselves and think about it, whatever it is, you know? It was a great opportunity if, if you were able to do that, if you chose to do that, which some people just freaked out and didn't, or they just said, well, I'm just gonna watch TV and read. You know, it was an opportunity to really be creative, have time. I went back and played the piano. I hadn't played the piano for 20 years. I'm loving it. And we walked to Denver, our city, and marked on a map where all we were going. We would never have done that with the pandemic, with without a pandemic, because we had just kind of done the same old walks. And we've seen about 25% of our city. Wow. Man, I'd like to do that again. You know, yep. while you're out there doing stuff like that, though, you have that opportunity to let your mind wander and think about what's next or, you know, 20 years down the road, even, you know, it's, it's great. Mm -hmm. Well, Ellen, I don't know where the time has gone, uh, but uh, you know, don't be surprised if you get a call uh, from Derek or me saying we're leaving the airport and we're on our way to your house and we stopped <laughs> and brought, picked up a bunch of beer. Uh, let's go I'll take a walk. Stop. I'll have to go stock the refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> let's go take a walk around Denver. And uh, oh, yeah and take it from there. But uh, where can people find you? We want to uh, get people connected to you, either LinkedIn, Twitter, blog, buy the book, what's the title of the book, all that fun stuff. Give us the quick kind of 15 second, how to find Ellen Naylor. 
Well, my website is ellennaylor.com and that's N like number, A-Y-L-O-R.com because we're, we're on video here, but not on a podcast, you aren't. And um, my book is Win-Loss Analysis, How to Capture and Keep the Business You Want. And it's available probably most easily on Amazon, but if you want a signed copy, I have some here too. And um, that's probably the best. And Ellen Naylor, you just put that in, you'll find me on LinkedIn or wherever on the internet. That's probably the easiest thing to do. Ellen at ellennaylor.com, my website, my uh, email. So it's, I try to keep it simple. Well, what a pleasure. Any final words, Derek? Just say, uh, you know, we get to interact with you sometimes in the uh, Council of Competitive Intelligence Fellows, and that's a real blessing to meet with you regularly uh, over yes, Zoom. I, and some, someday maybe uh, we'll, we'll gather locally uh, somewhere. Won't that be nice? Renew that. Yeah. I don't know if we'll get to do it this year. Probably don't want to record this, but um, with the variant coming on board, you know, they're saying that in the fall of the year, things might get worse. And, you know, you have to plan these events, you know, all too well, Derek is our planner. And uh, so we're, we're guessing we probably have to punt again this year, given that a lot of our fellows are older, you know, even though they've had their shots and all that stuff, the variant, you know, I'm looking forward to traveling again. Yeah. yeah. Well, you come on out to Madison sometime and we will. Oh, I'd like to do that. Actually, together. I like Madison. Madison's a great city. Very alive. And you got water there, too. I miss water here. I love the mountains, but I miss swimming. <laughs> and I do not do chlorine. Chlorine are not us. You know, so, yeah. I don't know. So, my final my final comment is going back to that word plein air, uh, outdoor visioning. I mean, I, I think that's what most of us, we may do it indoors uh, most of the time, but you know, visioning around intelligence and how we might see source uh, you know, availability and create conversation, bring back the art of conversation and, you know, be able to, to go down tangents and not work off of a script. I mean, we, we covered just so many different um, topics here in our short 45, 50 minutes today. Yeah. And isn't it funny, Ellen, that maybe way back when you moved from Minnesota to Colorado, you were saying to yourself, well, that, that, that whole concept of Minnesota nice meant that I had to, reinvigorate my client roster well you probably learned some important techniques around being minnesota nice that you've taken with you throughout your career and you instituted into that book that you wrote in 2016 i know uh to speak for eric and myself that we've learned so much from you and we're uh, dearly blessed to call you a good friend thank you for coming on the podcast well thank you i feel like i learned a lot from the two of you as well so we just have to keep staying in touch <laughs>